This is Higher Ground with Julian King. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome along to Higher Ground this Monday, 12th of September, 2022. Jules with you. Sounds like I'm off mic here for the moment. Uh, great to have your company, SEN 1170 in Sydney's SENQ 693 in Brisbane, 1620 on the Gold Coast, and via the SEN app. Lots to talk about tonight, of course. My open line number, should you like to join me, 1300 01 1170. 1300 01 And the text line, 0457 736 736. Uh, now that you've had your sleep on Sunday night, have you had a chance to digest all the goings on in the world of sport of the weekend? There's plenty, plenty. Of course, we have to start with NRL Finals Week 1, which started on Friday night. What a round it was. Come right side to Cleary. Wants to go out in the back. Crichton. Oh, ball, ball tip on. Oh, he got there. There were two defenders in front of him. One of them was Brown, the other Gunnison. And Brian Tothole has scored two tonight. And he puts the team in front. The Panthers 11, Parramatta 8, kick to come. Now, they go back to kick here. In fact, no, they come back the other way. Cleary, there's a pain move. Edwards sliding through. It was all set up for the fullback. They come now to Cleary. It's a kick option. It's a run option. Fisher-Harris got across and scored. And now referee Jared Sutton can blow full time. Dominant is the only way to describe the performance of the minor premiers. They go straight through to the prelim and they send a message to the competition. We are here to defend our crown. They win 27-8 over the hapless Parramatta Eels. Hapless Parramatta Eels, Jimmy Smith with the call here. Yeah, they flex their muscles, Penrith, over Parramatta. The thing about it is, of course, Parramatta having beaten them twice in the regular season this year, and people think, oh, they're half a chance here. But as they say in the classics, look, finals are a different ball game. Nathan Cleary has not missed a beat. It's too, the whole team, too big, too fast, too strong. It's going to be a hell of a team to stop them going back to back. They just they look refreshed. They look ready, don't they? And, in fact, I think they even look better than last year. Two try assists for Nathan Cleary, 108 run metres, three tackle breaks. What about the Panthers? 27 of their past 29 games at Bluebet Stadium, they have won. You heard Brian Toto, that name mentioned there in the call. 227 metres, Brian Toto, from 24 runs and seven tackle breaks. As for the Eels, I mean, Reid Marnie and Zoe Papali, 85 tackles between them alone. They're up against it. A couple of the key players certainly statistically went missing. So they get a week off, Penrith. They get to cool their heels. They've had, well, if anything, they're going to be well-rested. They're the most well-rested team of the competition at the moment, the defending premiers, and deservedly so. I saw a funny tweet during the week from these days, and it says, oh, the good thing about the Eels making the top four is that you get to see them lose two finals games. <laughs> well, the Eels will now play the Raiders 
in the semi-final after Canberra continued their dominance over the Melbourne Storm. 28 points to 20 at Amy Park. short of halfway. That's beautiful little offload that's widened on the burst. Well, he got it pass away and went through the hands. And now it's Timoko down the sideline. Tries to fend off Munster. Does so. Did he get it down? He might have dropped it, but I think he scored. Yes, he has. Munster finds Hughes. Nelson charging at the line. Can he offload this time? Well, the Raiders are all over him and they eventually bring him down. Good defence by the Raiders, but here goes Grant. Turns it on the inside to Munster. On the Hughes, a chip kick. There's Saviour Coates again. Play down the right attacking edge for the Storm. And here comes Sevi, passes it in to Munster, who finds his winger. Can Coates get a triple? Yes! Great try, great try. Saviour Coates brings him straight back into it on the stroke. Five minutes gone here in the second half. Now 10 metres out. Grant from dummy half. Asa for Sullivan. No chance of stopping him from there. Melbourne hit the lead. 18-16. Kick to come. Drifting across. A little left foot stab. Goes behind Munster. And look who's got it. It's Hudson Young. He loves a try. He's got another. And Hudson Young brings it level for the Raiders. It's 20-all. Hudson Young. Hudson with an H. You know, a lot of people have got the Raiders as their sleeper. I haven't been on them for the entire year. It's, it's amazing the turnaround, which you can almost pinpoint to the return of Jamal Fogarty, their off-season recruit from the Titans, and how well have the Titans gone this season. But they just keep winning Canberra. Remember that game oh, a, bit of a month ago? Down 14-0 against the Warriors, they win. Close game against the Dragons, both at win and then again in Canberra. Lose one, win one. Down against the Knights, fight back to win. So then he just scraped into the eight, and now they've knocked off the might of Melbourne. In Melbourne. And just something about certain matchups. You know, people said, oh, I've got a feeling about Canberra. I, I was sure Melbourne were going to come out firing here. But now a lot of people, as we said, up the milk. We're seeing that a fair bit on social media. Have the Raiders as their sleeper. Well, they're doing everything right at the moment. Tarpanay in beast mode, plenty said about him. Uh, likewise, big Josh Papalee, he thought he had a great game. Melbourne clearly missed Ryan Pappenhausen. There seems to be a theme about finals football. Is If you're missing your key players, you don't have your full complement, you're generally going to struggle. You're generally going to struggle. Uh, defensively, it was just it was a really unstorm-like performance. You wouldn't have seen that two years ago, not even one year ago. They don't let in half of those tries. Did the Falcon try, of course. Is, is it the end of an era? The end of an era, perhaps. It's been a while since they didn't progress in week one of the finals. In fact, the first time since 2005 that a prelim hasn't featured the Storm or the Roosters. You heard the call there with Matty White, Nelson, Asopha, Solomone, that try. Nine tackle breaks for Big Nelson, 156 metres for the Storm. But on top of it, played the first 51 minutes without a break. I mean, that is decent time out in the middle for a, a forward. 51 minutes without a break. Racked up 155 metres from 14 runs. Three offloads, three line break assists. Finished the night with 216 metres. I mean, he is elite. He's elite. For all this talk about Payne Haas, oh, how much is he worth? And what's Tarpanay at the moment? He's off contract. He can go to market in November, Tarpanay, I'm pretty sure. In fact, I read today that there are up to six clubs. I think his manager said six clubs that were inquiring about him. 
He was placed on report in the 50th minute for high contact with Jerome Hughes. Left the field for the HIA, which he passed. Cam Munster, I thought, tried hard uh, in everything, as he inevitably is with the Storm. 217 metres, six tackle busts and a try assist. Uh, Hudson Young's try, that was his 14th of the season. Equal best for Canberra with Sebastian Chris. He's been a bit of an unsung hero for the Raiders this year. Hudson Young. And the Storm have not been eliminated on the first weekend of the final since 2014 when Canterbury beat them 28-4 at Amy Park. So, you know, the thing about it is people talk about ends of dynasties and eras. And me as a supporter of a team that has not played a lot of finals football since our premiership in 2010, I'd love to have that problem. Tell you what, I'd rather finish fifth and bow in week one than not make the eight at all. Now, on Saturday night, this was the game of the round, I thought. Stunning game of football. It was the Cowboys 32 over the Sharks 30 at Shark Park. There's now Nico Hines turns Talakai under. Here's another. In fact, there's Rudolph, who's over the goal line. Has he got it down? I think he has. What a run from Rudolph. And they hit straight back Cronulla. 6-4 with a kick to come. The front rower gets his first try of the year. Finucane and Braley, the defenders, did out of acting half dummies, goes himself straight through. He's oh, away quick. from Kennedy, he's away from another and scores. Well, you don't see a try like that too often in the NRL. They almost ran into each other, the Cronulla defenders, and it's now 12-10 with a kick to come. There's 30 metres out, last tackle, right in centre field. It goes all the way back to Val Holmes from 45 out, strikes it. And pushes it to the right, I believe. He's got it, he it, got it. He's kicked it. Val Holmes has kicked it from 45 metres out. It's a two-point drop goal. And the Cowboys have beaten Cronulla by 32 points to 30. Quite remarkable. Whatever, 12 minutes of extra time, Val Holmes buried his old club with that, that sweetly struck two-point field goal. They went tit for tat, both of these sides. And... The thing about it is, and this is why I said it was the match of the round, just the quality of the tries are first rate. You had Potsy there, Mark Braybrook with the call. I didn't know Tom Deedon was that fast. He showed serious clip. And that Peter Hicku try, that was superb. But just lovely ball movement. Lovely ball movement from both sides. Nico Hines was great. I thought Deedon, I mentioned JT. Tamalala was great too. I'll give you some of their numbers in a moment. But Cronulla, I mean, they, they are going to rue this one. Sharky, so, so close. It's the one that got away. Because would have thought themselves, well, guess what? You know, if we win this, we take a week off, cool our heels, and then we watch Parramatta and Canberra bash each other up. But now, the second place side are going to have to meet Souths for a shot at Penrith in the prelims. Not the way they wanted that to go. But a struck match between a Ronaldo Molotalo, big metres, two hundred and seventy-six metres for Ronaldo with eight tackle breaks. Uh, Blake Braley was solid in defence, 68, 68 tackles. Ruben Cotter, 62 for the Cowboys. You expect Ruben Cotter to be churning out those sorts of numbers. I mentioned there, Nico Hines, three try assists, four line break assists and 725 kick metres. That they were great. And Jason Tamalolo, enormous. 253 metres from 20 runs, 41 tackles. And all of this was in 83 minutes of game time. Remember there was talk about a rift between Todd Payton and Jason Tamalolo and he wanted out of the joint and he'd lost the dressing room and he started on the bench and he's playing some more minutes. How do you reckon that's going now? Because I've got to tell you, 
The bloke, 253 metres, 20 runs, 41 tackles. And he played 83 minutes of footy, JT. And not only that, what about that ball to Peter Hicku? That's a, that's a try assistant, Jason Tabalolo. He said, I throw these passes once in a blue moon, this big, long, loopy pass, bang. Found Hickey, the veteran in the red basket. Had a bit of work to do. Stepped inside a handful and scored. It was just a really good game of footy. A really good game of footy. And they need the rest too, the Cowboys. And I did say to this program on Friday night, I said, oh, you know, I'm getting a real, real chance. People are saying, oh, well, you know, Corolla second place, partisan crowd at home and North Queensland don't travel well. And the concern I had about the Sharks is that their relatively easy run home perhaps didn't prepare them as best as they should have been prepared for finals football. Did that have a bearing on the final result? Maybe, maybe not. And likewise, you could say, well, Parramatta had Melbourne in the last game and they were nowhere near Penrith, even though they beat them twice this year. Really, really good game of footy. And then, of course, plenty, plenty has been said about yesterday's match between the arch rivals, the Roosters and the Bunnies. What's out, Sydney? You turned the tables from last round. 30 points to 14 in what was an intense, chaotic, brutal and strange stop-start match. One of the more bizarre I've ever seen. Murray, he shifts it out to Walker. They're going to run it. Here's Luttrell. Gets the pass away now. Oh, it's Otach. Gets it to Alex Johnson. Ten tries, four of big games in finals against the Roosters. That's what he does. Here's Walker. Now gets it to Hutchison. Hutchison looks for the offload. Got away from Andrew Hutchison. Their support Angus Crichton. Scored the first try last week. And Angus scores another. He's a handful, Angus. The Roosters. Six points to four, the Bunnies lead, but a kick to come for the Tricolours. An amazing try down to 12. And it's still got one player in there. They've got to go there. There's the long pass. Oh, that's a magical pass. That was a 20-metre pass from Dunny Hart from Sam Walker. Two bowlers waiting there, found the chest. And despite being down by 12 men, they've just picked up their second. The Roosters take the lead. Eight points to six and a kick to come from the Eastern Touchline. And uh, that's Arme Sele. Left-hand side, Cody Walker. Cody Walker, Latrell, Latrell! Latari Ferrari puts the South Sydney Rabbitohs back in front. You mentioned that Shulgar, can they score with 11 men? And yes, they have. Murray, Cody Walker, he loves this play over the top. Guess who? Alex Johnson gets another. South Sydney. 16 points to eight to kick the come. You're absolutely right, Nostradamus. Murray goes away to Cody Walker. Early kick chasing through. Jai Arrow. It was a bow and arrow for Jai. The kick was perfect for Cody Walker. And Jai Arrow pounced on it. And they might just have pounced on a semi-final victory. One more step towards eliminating the Roosters, their arch enemy. The South City Rabbitohs 22 with a kick to come. Roosters 8. Right hand side, Taukayaho. He takes it to the line, finds Kiri. Little kick coming through. Nat Butcher. A beautiful kick from Kiri. It's set up for Nat Butcher. And the Roosters refuse to go away. 24 points to 12, a kick the cut from near to the post. Are the Roosters gone? Not yet, I don't think. They score here, they're playing the Sharks. Here it comes to Cody Walker. Now comes away. Oh, Tass! Isaiah Tass has booked the South City Rabbitohs a date with the Granola Sharks. The Booker Fuse. 
another chapter. And this one, South Sydney off to play the Sharkies. Latrell Mitchell, magical. Cody Walker, sublime. But at what price does this brutal, epic affair, South Sydney 30 defeat the Roosters 14? Still a strange game of football. Even now, just listening to the call with Joel, it just, it was bizarre. It was frantic. It was everything. You know what? The thing about it is, when there's niggle and there's biff and clearly heat in the game from two teams that counts down each other, I mean, they say that the team that plays footy wins the match, and I think that's what South Sydney did. And credit, too, as well to Roosters coach Trent Robinson. I think a lot of people are expecting him to blow up. That was their season gone. But he didn't. I thought he was very statesman-like in his words after the game, Trent Robinson. And he's, he basically conceded as much. He said they took those key moments and played the football at the key moments better than we did. Got a record seven sin bins. Seven sin bins. Radley and Milne went there twice. Uh, Jared's in trouble. Tommy Burgess in trouble. I mean, he's going to miss next week, we would think. The rest of them took fines. I mean, Radley didn't. He got off scot-free. And there's all sorts of issues about uh, the intervention of the bunker and, and players, you know, uh, how should I put it? Decisions being made that perhaps aren't commensurate with the punishment. And by that I mean it looks serious, they treat them seriously, but the match review committee says nothing to see here move on. And as a result of that, you know, it's officials overplaying hand, their hand doesn't ruin the spectacle. It does. Look, I'm not normally one to defend Ashley Klein, but the thing about it is, and the referees have sort of painted in a corner here, he was in a hiding to nothing. If he bins everyone, he supposedly lost control of the game. If he doesn't, he still lost control of the game. In conjunction with the bunker. He, he had to draw a line in the sand. You know, the, the bottom line is, you know, you could toss, you could argue the toss over a number of the decisions. Okay, fair enough. But it's the player's fault. Because you play with fire, you run the risk of getting burned. But you did get the sense that it was probably done for the Chooks when Tedesco went off. Latrell was brilliant. The thing about it is if he fires, and he looked on yesterday, South can beat anyone. The Roosters, full steam. They've had a pretty good year considering where they were about halfway through the season, but you just caught up with him at the end. But is it time to blow up the bunker? No, I don't think so. But I think they're going to be... They, we need greater clarity about the jurisdiction of the on-field referee. The, the referee on the field takes primacy. Work back from there. So maybe... The bunker only intervenes in try-scoring opportunities. Maybe you bring back the second referee. Sometimes there's stuff that happens literally in the eye line of the touch judges, for example. They don't say anything. Oh, no, we'll just sit there quietly, wait for the bunker to intervene. It's like they're too scared to make a decision lest they be wrong. And the thing about it is, and, and Bondi Jack, I'll get to your text in a moment. A lot of people are saying, well, they lay down, they lay down. Of course they lay down. If there's a chance to gain the system, they'll do it. I don't blame the players here. It's a system that's created this scenario where they milk penalties. Little cop one around the chin, oh, the ref missed it, I'll just lay down. The bunker's going to look at this and I'll get a penalty. And all teams do it. All teams do it. And they'd be coached to do it. Absolutely, they'd be coached to do it. Anyone thinks that they're not, got their heads in the sand. And you, uh, yes, 
Colourful as always. Jagger, the laydown Sally's Mitchell Murray and Cody Walker are a bunch of weak cowards refusing to even play the ball. The mixomatosis, very good. How these scared cats suffered at the hands of Verrills and the forwards for 20 awesome minutes was easily fixed. Dope Grant Atkins removes Victor for zero. Uh, I didn't think it was a sin bin either, Jack. Uh, then a dog take out Teddy and stays on the field. You're talking about Burgess, uh, as in not sent off. Uh, thus not triggering the crucial 18th mad Adam Kieran so desperately missed after Teeps broke down, leaving us with no second half bench Bondi Jack. Yeah. Look, I mean, we can go over it the fine tooth game. It was a weird game. I think the refs were... They were far from perfect, but I don't think they're quite the disgrace that people make them out to be. And I'll go back to my original point. It's still the players' bowl. I mean, you play with matches. Every now and then you're going to get burned, aren't you? If, if you're going to walk that line, you can't complain if occasionally a decision goes against you. H- having said that, just on the laying down thing, and I'm just reading this in the Herald, NRL head of football, Graham Annesley, wouldn't discuss specific incidents, but admitted there was cause for concern following a spate of incidents, which led to the bunker intervening to award a penalty in the roosters Rabbitohs clash. And he goes on to say, Annesley, and this is part of his Monday briefing, I think yesterday is not a good example of what we've seen throughout the course of the year. I am concerned about the issue of players waiting for the intervention of officials, but that's not isolated to yesterday. Well, that's true. That's something we're constantly monitoring and reviewing, and we will review that again in the off-season. We have to work hard to find ways of dealing with that so it's not an ongoing problem. Well, you can deal with it say, right now and say the bunker's not allowed to intervene in those decisions or non-decisions, more to the point. That'd solve it. Anyway, just on the laying down, and I talked about Trent Robinson. Now, this is what he had to say post-game in his press conference. Penalised or been, the more players became aware... If they stayed down or if the game stopped, there would be an opportunity there for penalties. Do you see that? Do you see it as a problem today? And do you see it as a problem for the rest of the finals? Are you saying on the Roosters' side no, that just that in general in the game, like a lot of players? Are you saying that the Roosters? No, I'm just saying. Lie down there, Mick. No, the game in general, it felt as though we went up. Like a lot of those sim meetings were referees getting instruction from the bunker. They weren't actual called in the play. Yeah, sure, but I'm asking you, are you saying that the Roosters lied down for penalties in that no, game? In general, because I, I honestly can't remember all of them because there's that many, but it I'll felt just say that we went upstairs a lot. They didn't lie down for any penalties. So, I'd, you know, I'd take umbrage the suggestion that we lied down for penalties because we didn't... In the game, though, at all? No, that's, I don't have an opinion on, on theirs, you know. I don't... Um, I have a, an opinion on us and that we won't do it. It's not going to happen. You know, so that's, you can feel I'm passionate about that and that, that won't happen. And, I'd, you know, I'd ask you to have a look and say which ones, where did we do that? Um, so just don't say in general because that didn't happen from our, from our end. Trent Robinson there, Michael Chamis from the Nine Papers. Interestingly... Jai Arrow, the South City forward, says his side wasn't deliberately stopping play to force the bunker into awarding his team a penalty. You reckon, Jai? You reckon? So is Jai Arrow trying to convince us that his team weren't staying down? And, and you know, I want to speak to Pat shortly for a greater to disagree. He's a Mad Bunnies fan. I'll get his thought on it. But he said it's a tough one. Trent Robinson explained it well. Nobody is out there to stay down and milk a penalty. Play a tough game when you get hit in the head hard enough, you do stay down, not to milk anything, but to recover as much as you can. Well, of course, he's got to say that. He's not going to put the hand up and say, me a culpa. But he is kidding if he says, no, 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 if we stay down, it's because we generally got whacked. Maybe, but a lot of times, 
a, you know, this is a, con- <laughs> it's a contact sport. It's the hardest collision sport on the planet. You get a fingernail around the chin and you, oh, gee, you know, just, well, the other way you could potentially stop it is that if the, if you stay down and get the penalty from the bunker and you have been deemed to have been hit high, you automatically got to go off the field for an HIA. Would that stop a milking it? I reckon it would go a long way towards eradicating this problem. A long way. Because all of a sudden you go, oh, you're trying to play for the penalty. If you've got to spend time on the field, you've got to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? You go for an HIA. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe you just don't allow the bunker to intervene on those decisions. Anyway, next week, Friday night, you've got the Eels and the Raiders Combank Stadium. The key issue here is whether Mitch Moses will play. He's very confident, Mitch Moses, that he'll be okay to take on the Raiders in Friday's semi-final. I've got to say, he looked pretty Lady Gaga, didn't it? After he was knocked out trying to tackle Viliami Kikau. This is midway through the second half of that loss to the Panthers. Didn't return to the field. Felt a lot better. Recovered pretty well from all reports. Now, he leads the try, the try assists numbers in the NRL at the moment. So we'll wait and see. I guess I'm presuming they'll name him tomorrow when the teams come out. And if he's not able to play, well, it swings the pendulum firmly back in Canberra's favour. The Eels will likely turn to Jake Arthur and the poor kid copped it. He didn't have a great turnout against Penrith, but I, I don't know what other options they have. But, you, I mean, cast your mind back to that, well, it was a few weeks ago, was it Manly, I think? He's got a bit of talent. He's got a bit of temperament. Jake Arthur. Potentially going to be the biggest game of his life if Mitch Moses doesn't play. Just looking at Moses before we get to a break, the the stats for Mitch Moses in finals football, two wins from nine games. Two wins from nine games. Nathan Cleary, nine from 14, include a premiership. Make it that what you will. My text line number, 0457 736 736. If you'd like to send me a text, what did you make of the weekend's games? Who are the standouts for you? Is there anyone you think can challenge Penrith? for the title. And, of course, Saturday night, we've got the Sharks and the Bunnies at Allianz Stadium. The thing about it is, I remember, it was a Craig Fitzgibbon, the Sharks coach, who said, well, if the Roosters win, I don't want to play at Allianz because it's like we finished second. Why should we play a home or an away game, really, to be a Roosters home game? And no doubt they would have been left seething over the allocation of their home final because despite the protestations or the demands, rather, of Craig Fitzgibbon, the NRL, there's no way they would have agreed to it. Anyway, it's a moot point because the Bunnies prevailed over the Roosters in, as we said, one of the more chaotic and physical games we've seen in some time. But, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to be really good. Dale Finucane, by the way, is going to pay a $3,000 fine with an early guilty plea for the Grade 1 charge, and he should be able to line up for the Sharkies. You're with Jules on high ground this Monday night. 36736, our stack to sink our teeth into this Monday night. Uh, normally I'd have the weekend wash up with our friend Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports. He's a bit under the weather, Lachlan. He came down with COVID. He was out there screaming frantically for his beloved Sharks at Shark Park on Saturday night. And um, he's got COVID. He's feeling a bit under the weather, so he's going to rest up tonight. And likewise, James Polson. He's... Uh, been busy and burning the candle at both ends uh, from the sports desk of the Herald. So both of those gentlemen getting the night off tonight. So you're stuck with me. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number. Just running through some awards. We had some awards nights tonight. We'll start with the uh, the reigning premiers and the minor premiers as well in the Penrith Panthers. It was Dylan Edwards. Well done to Dylan Edwards. He has taken out the Merv Cartwright medal, a player of the year. He was announced as the winner 
by Sam Jones, who was the grandson of Merv Cartwright at the club's annual awards night held in Penrith tonight. So as well as being named the club's best and fairest, he also claimed the members player of the year. But just what about these numbers? Across the regular season, Dylan Edwards averaged 218 metres a game to go with eight tries, six tries, his 10 line breaks, 98 tackle breaks. Quite phenomenal. The John Farragher Award for Courage and Determination went to James Fisher-Harris. The Ben Alexander Rookie of the Year went to Taylor May. The Club Person of the Year, Alan Mayer, and a handful of others. The New South Wales Cup Player of the Year, Jermaine Hopgood. uh, Pretty good player too, Jermaine Hopgood. Uh, Likewise, the Canberra Raiders have had their awards night tonight. The Meninga Medal won by Joe Tarpanay. No huge surprise. Capped off a huge 2022 season. He's won his first Melbourneinga medal as the club's best player. So well done to Joe Tarpanay. He's the international 44 points in the final tally, 22 clear of Jack Whiten. So quite comfortable in the end. So yeah, the top, this is the voting for the top five. Tarpanay, Whiten, Hudson Young, Adam Elliott, Josh Papali'i. Now the coach's award went to Hudson Young. The Peter Muller Holland Rookie of the Year went to Brad Schneider. And there's a handful of other awards as well. And the New South Wales Blues have their Brad Fittler medal night on tonight. Uh, no big surprise. Brad Fittler medal 2022 goes to the captain and fullback James Tedesco. Also, it's, it's sweeping them tonight. He has won the True Blue Award. So he's won the Brad Fittler medal, the True Blue Award, and the People's Choice Award. So well done to James Tedesco. Maybe that just softens a blow from the loss to the Bunnies yesterday. Uh, also on the awards night, the Women's New South Wales Origin Player of the Year goes to Isabel Kelly, and then Caitlin Johnston has won the Sky Blues Award. So well done to all the award winners tonight, the New South Wales Rugby League Brad Fittler medal. 0457 736 736, the text line number, you're on high ground. There's a stack of other supporters around as well. We'll get to that on the program. Don't worry, I haven't got about the US Open. We'll hear from Carlos Alcaraz, this 19-year-old world's the youngest ever world number one in tennis history. He's a beast, and he's defeated Casper Ruud in the final of the US Open this morning at Flushing Meadows. And I tell you what, he's, he's got many, many more he's going to win up. This kid could get to 20. Because the other thing is, I'm not sure about his competition. We'll hear from Carlos Alcaraz shortly. Of course, no Premier League action this weekend. They suspended the round due to the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. But still plenty to talk about in the UK report. And I'll cross to Ian McCulloch in the next hour. Of the program, we had the Dutch Grand Prix as well. No big surprise, Max Verstappen won. And poor, poor Danny Rick was going so well. And his car decided to crap out. His car decided to crap out. And it's looking up my big screen. Uh, got Tampa Bay, Dallas and the NFL in the opening weekend. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Some really good results. And I'll run through those for you as well. So the NRLW, just quickly before we get to Adita, agree to disagree. Across three matches, and these are all at Amy Park in Melbourne. Five points was a collective and total margin. So he had the Titans 18 over the Eels 16, then the Dragons 19, a one-point thriller over the Broncos 18, the first ever golden point game we've seen in NRLW. It was Rachel Pearson's field goal at one at the end. And then the Roosters Knights high-quality affair 18-16, and they are flying at the moment, the defending premiers. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. Well, listen, when I rocked up the studio this evening, it was just perched outside the lift with a pack of bog roll <laughs> and his South Sydney Rabbitohs beanie on. I thought it just – a picture paints a thousand words. Good evening to you, Patrick. How are we going? How are we going? Uh, In... uh, mate, more importantly, how are you going? A uh, bit of a sore head this morning. Oh, yeah, get a, have a couple last night. Yeah, I had a, they were going down pretty 
pretty easy towards yeah, the... Yeah, it tasted like victory, didn't it? Uh, towards the end of that second half. In the interest of of balance, I know your text might have just shut down there. I've yes, got bon- it did. Bondi Jack here saying that... The oh, usual... about the lay-down Sallies? No, he's got a new one. I haven't read that. My thing's playing up, yep. Jack. So, so uh, some people in the media are blaming Ash and Grant Atkins' pathetic bunker calls which descended a gripping, passionate, life-or-death hate match into a comical farce. <laughs> Atkins set the soft bar with the pathetic joke beating of Radley when Souths... That was a harsh beating. Agree? I think that was harsh. We're all hiding and faking. But then he ignores the rubbing out of Teddy, who had Souths on tilt, and wins us the war. In such HIA instances, the offender must be removed for the entirety and replaced. I don't... Like, I'm going to agree with, with most of that. You agree with that? I agree with that. The, the, the so, so, okay. So if I tackle you high and you go off for an HIA, then you're saying that I should be off as well for that HIA. Is, is that the point? For, well, food for thought. I, there's one thing that well, I mentioned when we came in that I think the head knocks need to be, head knocks need to be sacrosanct. You can't, it's just got to be a culture where you can't game it. It's got to be treated differently. And I think for the most part, clubs do. It really annoys me when people in the media think they know that clubs are gaming it or they question or whatever. They're not doctors. They're not yeah. involved in it. And two examples would be, so the Roosters lost three players to head knocks in a must-win game. And I would say that there was no decision for them. Like, there's no thought of try and push on. And then last year in the grand final, South lost Arrow in what I thought looked fairly innocuous, but he, he didn't play. So I think the clubs are getting it right. So if, if they're not gaming it, then you would say that if a player is off with HIA and it's through head contact that, that there's there's an avenue for the offender to be off. I think the Burgess one was probably a send-off on Teddy. Probably. Yeah. 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 Anyway, look, sometimes you get bin, sometimes you get send-off, some send minutes are harsh. Yeah. Some are not strict enough. My point is that, I mean, they're all in and around illegal play, right? And yeah. foul play and yeah. legal. So I kind of understand, you know, you got to take it as it comes. You don't always agree with it. But you can yeah. say, well, this is, goes back to my original point. You play with the fire occasionally, you're going to get beat. Yeah. So if you're going to get people high, you're going to start putting your palm in their face, then yeah. don't be shocked when you go, oh, I didn't think that was warranted, that, that warranted a, a sin bin, for example. Yeah. You know, because you never know. Yeah. You never know. How they're going to adjudicate. And the second. But if your hand's not there, then you don't have a problem. That's it, yeah. Well, that's the second Radley one. It was also pretty soft, but by that stage, if the game gets any further out of control, someone might get hurt. Anyway, agree to disagree. Hit me up. What do you got? So, Panthers resting their players mm. in round 25 means that they'll be replayed by the time they get to South or, I guess, maybe Cronulla. Mm. That, that it'll be the team would have played two games in four weeks, yep. and Cleary's one game in eight weeks. Mm. I'm not, I don't know about the resting when they've already rested out of Origin Panthers. So you're saying they shouldn't have rested? I don't their think players. they should have rested. I uh, disagree. Because you, no, can, you know what? They, they know their players. They they played enough together yep. that a few weeks off. I mean, I don't think it's going to impact them too much. Yeah, you know, at this time of the year, after a long season, and they had a lot of Origin representation. I mean, any yeah. race you can get is yeah. worth so, so much. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that one's just on results. So I guess we won't know for a couple of weeks. You can't say it hasn't worked. They're very, yeah. very good. Yeah. They're great. They're very, very good. The On the game yesterday, 
Yeah. So at full time, unequivocally, everyone's like, this is great spectacle, gripping football. Now the sting's gone out of a little bit. I think it was great for the game. I think it was, you know, very physical, very passionate. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if you agree with that because I think that the, the tide is a, with the sting out of it now, it does, the ugliness does look there. And the troll did, when he laid down, when he stopped, that was a bad, bad look. Mm. Uh, it was pretty compelling viewing. Did I think it was the best advertisement for the game? No, I didn't. You know, I love toughness at the time. I, I, no, I wasn't thinking, how good is this? I thought, this is a bit, this is just weird. Yeah. Uh, that was kind of my reaction. I, you know, it's, I, I don't subscribe to this whole, uh, idea that you've got to be niggly to prove your toughness. I mean, the game is tough enough as it is, just yeah. in the collisions alone. Yeah. And I thought it started to get a bit out of hand. Let's go, okay, that's enough. And yeah. then it becomes a vengeance play and then it becomes a, you know, a milking tactic. Any, anything to sort of one-up your opponents. And I just, you still got to play football. It's a game of football. Yeah. And I think that there were points yesterday where, where both sides were culpable of not doing that. Yeah, I think Trent Robinson said that it descended into... Non rugby league. It did. It yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. You're a you're a Dragons man. I am. I am so on the Knights in the NRLW. Yeah. I wish Newcastle sold NRLW jerseys. Love Millie Boyle. Aren't they the, aren't they the same as the, the men's jerseys? I would even just take just the... Just get a men's and just put Boyle on the back or something. I just I would take the crest. Just give me the crest. The NRLW. The, the Newcastle like men's team. You're representing the women. Good on well, you. Well, the, the Newcastle men's team is... Trash. It's terrible. Yeah, culture problems, mate. Yeah, I reckon yeah. Newcastle for the for the premiership. Yeah, in the NLW. The second at the moment. The Roosters first up. Yeah, yeah the Roosters are favourite and title to be favourites. Oh, yeah, they're vastly improved Newcastle. Yeah, and they've recruited really well. I I got Roosters favourite to go back to back. Yeah, three games on all three games on Sunday. So, uh, in answering your question, disagree. Disagree. You're yeah. Dragons. No, do I think they'll win? No, yeah. I think the Roosters win. Yeah. Hmm. Rayleigh McGregor, she's... Dragons form isn't impressed with the last couple of weeks, I've got to say. No. Anyway. Because this is semi-professional, so they, the girls seem to build. Like last year, Roosters built into it. Yeah, they did. Because they're not, unfortunately, spending too much time together. And I'm going to need a summer sport now, this time of year. Yep. I watch, so, I watch an unholy amount of rugby league that mm. sometimes trying to follow any... I don't mind the F1 on a Sunday night. That's a nice little wind down. Mm. But then you say so you start following Premier League now and then it goes around and you miss the last third of the season because Rugby League kicks in. I'm watching a lot of You've got to learn to balance yourself a bit better there, young Pat. Yeah. Imagine so. if I had a girlfriend as well. Yeah, well, I really <laughs> hope you get a girlfriend. <laughs> now, uh, so what are you hitting me with? Go. What's I need a summer sport. You need a summer sport. I guess, yeah. Cricket's... Agree, agree. You need yeah. a summer sport. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cricket is the summer sport, and you should be following cricket. Definitely, cricket. It's not consistent enough, though. That's ah, you know what? Thing. Spend a day with me, I'll get you into the game. 0457 736 736, you're in high. Game. Back out. He's at still on 6 4, 2 6, 7 6, 6 3. Yeah, well done to the young man, Carlos Alcaraz. Remember that name? He submitted himself as. The new king of tennis. It was a thrilling four-set win over Kasper Ruud from Norway. This was this morning. The US Open men's finally won the match. 6-4, 2-6, 7-6. He thumped him 7-1.
in that really crucial third set tiebreaker and then 6-3 in the fourth to win his first Grand Slam, become the youngest ever world number one in ATP history. Was it was it Leighton he'd surpassed? I know Leighton was the youngest ever world ending, season ending world number one. And it might have been Leighton that he surpassed. But 7-6, I mean, he had a chance, Casper, in that third set. And Alcarez looked flat because remember he had that, that marathon game against Yannick Sinner, which he won. He thought, oh, gee, you know, this is a chance here for Rude. And then it's like he got his second win, 7-1, comprehensive win in that tie break. Uh, a battle of epic proportions between both of them. Uh, they had this moment throughout the game, both of these gentlemen, or stars, I should say. Think about Kasparud. If he won, he was going to go to number one in the world. He's now number two. So your world number one's Alcaraz. Your number two's Kasparud. Remember those names. 49 minutes to win the first set, 6-4. Norwegian hit back to take the second set, 6-2. Third set, as we said, brutal battle, really brutal out battle, neither willing to give an inch, and then eventually went the way of a tiebreak. But the Spaniard flipped the script, romped home to a resounding victory in the tiebreak, won a 73-minute-long set, put himself one set away from the championship, and then in the fourth, as we mentioned, he just continued to dominate. Uh, Rude didn't have an answer. He's just got, he's got power, he's got finesse, he's got touch, he's, he's got a bit of something about him. His movement is impeccable. He's a really good sort of all-surface, all-court player, Carlos Alcaraz. And he won it with an ace, so he did it in style and then immediately fell to the ground in celebration. World's youngest ever, number one in men's tennis. Remember that name, Carlos Alcaraz. And now, as we see, the end of the careers of Federer, Nadal, and throwing Djokovic as well. Well, who, who's the next generation? It's guys like your sinners. Like your Alcaraz, forget about Tsitsipas, forget about Zverev. Both of those blokes are pretenders. But this guy, because I can't see the competition at the moment, he's going to dominate. He'll win 20 Grand Slams. You might say I'm going the early crow here, but he will come close to winning that many. Because I don't know who's challenging. A couple of good Canadians there as well, but, you know, he is that good. And you heard Brett Phillips here on this network talk about him. Carlos Alcaraz, now that he's had the breakthrough, he's won the first one. Expect many, many more. He's an absolute beast. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. I'll touch on a bit of Formula One as well as the BMW, uh, the championship, the golf. Uh, Shane Lowry, the Irishman, well known to him. And I think just quietly the PGA, who were in partnership with the DP World Tour, are pretty happy that was theirs and not the live guys that held aloft the trophy. We'll take a break on the other side of that. I'll catch up with Ian McCulloch from London with his UK report. 0457 736 736, the text line number. You're on high ground this Monday night on SEN with Julian King. Stick around. Final hour of the program. Great to have your company on SEN right across the country this Monday night. Keep those tips pouring in. 0457 736 736. Just before we get to Ian McCulloch for our UK report, uh, whip through for the birthdays today, September 12th, born this day, 1930. 13. You're not quite that old. Not quite that young, I should say. 1913, the great Jesse Owens, four Olympic golds in Berlin, 36. Of course, uh, blew up this idea that the Aryans were the pure race and refused to shake Hitler's hand. 1937, the great West Indies cricket fast bowler, Wes Hall, born this day in Barbados. And speaking of cricketers, Max Tangles Walker, 34 tests, 138 wickets, born today. 1948, and he passed away 2016. The American golfer Chip Beck, born today 1956. He won the US Open in 1986-1989, and he was the Masters runner-up in 1993. And a man that went one better at the Masters, Angel Cabrera, born today 1969. And a man we were speaking about not that long ago, Paul Green. 
Australian Rugby League player and coach. Born this day, 1972, and sadly died uh, just this year. Nathan Bracken, Australian cricketer, uh, left armour. Great one-day player he was. Handful of tests, born today in 1977. A lot of people were ready and raring to go for match day seven of 38 in the Premier League. And, of course, uh, in case you've been living under a rock, Majesty Queen Elizabeth II passed away, age 96, and it's it's shaken up the country and there's all sorts of days of mourning and protocols uh, empire-wide to reflect on the life of the Queen. Ian McCulloch is our friend over in the UK. He's on the line right now. Hello, mate. Good you, mate. I'm um, going very well. Now, of course, the Premier League suspension was the big one. We had a, a day shaved off the BMW Championship. Likewise, the England-South Africa Test match. Uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, uh, can you just give us a quick, I guess, uh, a summary of how her passing has affected sport and, and what other sports have, have been put on hold? Right. Well, obviously, the news sort of broke on Thursday afternoon. There was when the BBC... News readers start wearing black ties and yes, and they clear the schedules. You kind of think, oh well, this is kind of it's something something bad is going to happen here. So, uh, but it was you know a huge shock, etc. And um, I mean, probably like it is on the on the TV back in Australia. It's just you, you can't you can't avoid it at the minute. <laughs> Everything on TV mm. is about the Queen and um, her coffin's been moved down towards London. It's going to be sort of lying in state, so they're expecting like millions of people to be kind of queuing up for hours on end to um visit the Queen's coffin. Um so yeah, it's you know, as you'd expect, it's, it's a massive story and it's dominated everything. In terms of sport, um everything's in a little bit of flux. Um all the she died on the Thursday and all the sport that she played on the Friday was cancelled. Uh, that was a um couple of English football league matches. There was the golf was on hold, cricket, and and then on the on that day they had to make a decision about whether sport would go ahead on the Saturday and the Sunday. And the government had said to all the different sporting bodies, "It's entirely up to you. You know, you're, you're under no compulsion to kind of call matches off." And um, I think football was caught in the position of. We many feel trying to do the right thing, but did the wrong thing and cancelled yeah. everything. Right. And not just the professional, you know, matches, but all the way down to grassroots level, kids football, under eights, under nines, none allowed to play. Which, having come through two years of a pandemic, hasn't gone down that well. I mean, no. you can't really castigate no. them for doing it, but when cricket's taking place at the Oval and there's, the golf carries on. and I mean, there are logistical reasons for that as well. So Africa was due to fly home tomorrow. So yeah. if they were to kind of delay it, then there's that. And then you've got the golf. You've got golfers in from the States and around Europe. Um, they can't really kind of curtail that. But it, there was a feeling that matches were played Thursday night in West Ham and Man United played in the Europa League. And, you know, the... the the reaction from the crowd and the tributes and that, a lot of people felt that well, it would be a chance for millions of people up and down the country at four matches to show their appreciation for the Queen. 
Mm. Um, I weren't given that chance, opportunity to do so, um, and other sports were. So, in terms of football fans, is I don't think the decision was that popular. Um, but at the same time, the norms have come out and said, football association for taking that decision. Um, but the, the, the difficulty is that the, the season's already been concertina because of the World Cup starting in November. So there was a worry that fixtures are already going to be backlogged and to, to lose a week you know, could do more damage. And there's also no guarantee that matches in London will take place this Saturday in the Premier League. Okay. So, okay. Good. That, that was my next question in terms of, uh, of yeah. resumption and how they then try and squeeze that into what you've said is already a, a very congested calendar. Interesting. I'm reading Cycling's Tour of Britain was also cancelled. But uh, we know the affection that the late Queen had for horse racing and the St. Ledger took place on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, the final classic of the year, and it's well known, really, the Queen's love of horses. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, the stuff has been dripping out over the last six few days about her, which is something I didn't know. That um, obviously her, her love of racing was was well known. Also, uh, on the choir, quite a big football fan, but um, no interest in cricket. <laughs> Outrageous! <laughs> Couldn't stand cricket, but liked the football, liked the liked the racing. But and yeah, she's had some you know, great horses over the years as well that have won. She's won the Oaks and. And the, never quite got to the derby that alluded her. Twice, I think she was second in that. But um, but she would always the Royal Ascot. That was she would you know take the week that book that week off, so to speak, basically for Windsor Castle. And every day she'd be at, um, at Royal Ascot. And yeah, and I think racing is kind of mourning it because she was such a great champion of the sport. And you know, racing there's always a kind of a shadow of you know, protesters and animal rights activists and whether that's right or wrong is a debate for another 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 discussion. But it almost gave it legitimacy, racing, because mm. the Queen mm. was seen to like it. So um, I'm not too sure that any of the royal family share because the Queen Mother was a big racing fan as well. And at the Cheltenham Festival, um, the Jump Festival in March, there's actually a race called the Queen Mother Champion Chase. Um, but I'm not too sure if Charles Will's and, uh, Harry, etc., follow the Queen's love of the horses. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a loss that's been felt very, very deeply across, uh, certainly across oh, yeah. racing and across the country as well. You know, it's uh, whether or not, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to hold my hand up and say I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of the monarchy, but I had huge respect for the Queen and who she was. And ultimately, it's a, a 96 year old woman who's led a wonderful life, and, you know, she deserves the, the kind of respect and the tribute she's receiving uh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I, I personally not a big fan of hereditary title, and by that I mean I wasn't a fan of David Moyes taking over from Sir Alex Ferguson, but that's that's a different <laughs> conversation. You mentioned the cricket, they couldn't uh, prolong that match because South Africa had to jet out, but as it turns out, they didn't need to because England thumped them uh, by nine wickets in the third and deciding test, and England now have won six of their seven tests under this new leadership pairing of of Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum, and I think importantly for them as well is that Zach Crawley finally amongst the runs with 69 not out. Yeah, we needed to score some runs because <laughs> you know, you've taken your chances and you've got, got you know, a 69 not out to help win the test. So I guess that's prolonged his staying in the team for a bit longer. But yeah, it's a, you know, the turnaround really four months ago, England had no captain, no chairman of selectors. Um, the team was on the lowest end for many years. They'd come off heavy beaten by Australia, lost to the West Indies, were beaten at home by New Zealand last year and uh, yeah, there was very much sort of, you know, where did the test team go from here and uh, obviously a huge risk, I think we discussed it on here, but Ben Stokes getting the captaincy and mm. 
you know, rounders of, of the past have not done well when they've been sort of handed the captaincy. But um, the Stokes is he's made it with he's a different breed. He kind of embraced it and run with it, and you know, six out of seven. And and as well, like you know, Safrika's got very good decent, very good bowling attack as well. And um, yeah, their their batting is very the, very weak though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know the New Zealand are you know arguably officially the, you know the number one test team in the world so it's been they've beaten two decent sides but oh. um but i think uh, i mean we talk about batting i've said before it's, i think batting in england is probably the hardest place in the world to bat i think yeah. you might be right yeah, yeah. ollie robinson's been good hasn't he much. he got the 50 test wickets seven for the match but it's, it's sort of a, a bookend in a sense you got ollie robinson and then and stuart broad as well seven wickets uh, in fact wickets were shared too and even um even old Jimmy Anderson still amongst it, and uh, a few good years left in him. Yeah, I think Jimmy. There's talk about Jimmy will retire after the Ashes next year. Um, but there's a lot of, lot of mail going around that Stuart Broad might pull the pin this uh, this end, end of this summer. Um, I'm not sure he's what. I know he, he's not going on a tour of Pakistan because his partner's giving birth to their first child. So I'm not. Um, that, that could be an announcement on that sooner rather than later. But yeah, but Broad's been a servant to English cricket and Anderson as well. He kind of goes under the radar a little bit compared to Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad. But, mm. you know, 500 or test wickets, he's a remarkable bowler. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. But he's uh, an Arsenal fan too, Stuart Broad. So well, we, we've got to mark him down for that, I think. Don't we? He's a what? I think he's a big Arsenal fan, isn't he, Stewie Broad? No, not in the forest. He's a big oh, forest is he not forest, is he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, not in the forest, yeah. But he, he. I mean, you kind of, he's such a, uh, he makes me laugh, Stuart Broad. The only man I know that has written down every catch that's been dropped off his bowling. <laughs> he strikes me as the type. <laughs> tell you well. how many wickets he's got and how many cricket he's got. How, how many should have had, had yeah. Yeah, yeah, what about the one? Yeah. Hang on, what about the GBS LBs before DRS, mate? You know, <laughs> think about it. Well, that's it. right, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. One more before I let you go. Just uh, an article in front of me. Ange Postecoglou could be offered a job in the Premier League with a report out of the UK claiming he's a strong contender to replace Graham Potter at Brighton. Of course, um, Potter moving on uh, to Chelsea. I think I read. So, you know, have you heard this? Any truth to this rumour, or just uh, another thing to fill the pages? Uh, it could be a bit of both. I think. Um... I mean, that was a big shock last week. That, that was, that's who I work for now. That's, that's right on our patch, Chelsea. And uh, none of us saw that coming. Tuchel getting sacked on on wow. the, the Thursday. But uh, obviously they lost to um, the grab in the, the Champions League. You know, the, 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 I don't think it means a great deal. But obviously Chelsea got new owners now. And um, there's some difficulties, I think, between the new American owners and Tuchel. Mm. Um, but I mean, Coglu's done it. No wonder he's getting linked with a job like Brian. He's done an amazing job at, at Celtic. Um, you know, he's just kind of a bit of a laughing stock apparently when he took over. What's this guy doing? And now he's, you know, yeah. he's, they sing his name from the, the, the stands there. He's got the team back to Champions League. Or they, they got beat 3 0 by Real Madrid, but that, that 3 0 just flat around Madrid a little bit. Yeah, well, mate, That's I mean, they think. could have been up at, at half time if, if a couple of goals had. Had gone in, um, but he doesn't yeah. die wondering. It's you know what? It's refreshing to see a team though, Ian, that against uh, a giant like Real Madrid doesn't think, oh, we'll just park the best and park the bus and hope for the best. You know, yeah. you know, we we have a philosophy. We're going to yeah. stick to it, and you know, I, I don't think he lost any admirers from that game. No, but um, when Brighton, very very well run club, very good club. No wonder he's on their radar. 
make good signings and make good appointments at Brighton. Um, so yeah, I, I I wouldn't dismiss it out of hand. But um, yeah, Celtic's a massive club, and you've got a team playing in the Champions League. I mean, I, I, it'd be a it'd be a hard move to go to leave, but you have to move when you you, you stop high. That's what Potter had to do. He stops high at the minute. Yeah, he wouldn't have been offered the Chelsea job this time last year, so he's got to make hay while the sun shines. So yeah, if they come in for him, then you know it wouldn't surprise me if he did go. But um, but let's just see, hey. All right, mate. Great to chat. Thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll get some sport resuming. What's been a a pretty heavy week on the news front over there in the UK. Take care. Nice one. Cheers, Jules. Bye now. Thanks, mate. Ian McCulloch. 0457 736 736. Jules, I guarantee you Liz's passing wouldn't have closed down the Silverstone GP. I don't know about that. I don't know. Maybe. Guess we'll never know. Anyway, I watched the Dutch GP last night. Poor Daniel Ricciardo. It was in the points. And his car just crapped out. And you know, they talked about the curse of Monza. The last, what, three, four years, the winner, the following year, has had a DNF. And that trend continued. Just before the break, uh, I mentioned there Shane Lowry from Ireland labelled his, well, he labelled his BMW PGA Championship triumph on Sunday as, quote, unquote, one for the good guys. And clearly that was a, a bit of a swipe at this controversial Live Golf series. It was a good finish in the end. He, he pipped John Rahm and Rory McIlroy. $2 million title. This was at Wentworth on Sunday. Uh, we know the tournament was trimmed down to 54 holes after Friday's play, as you heard there, was postponed following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. So John Rahm, what about this? Final round 62, back nine of 29. Uh, that is frighteningly good golf. But then Larry, Larry was great all week, actually. Had an eagle, five birdies on his own, uh, closing 65 to finish 17 under. So it's nice, consistent three rounds of golf for Shane Lowry, the former British Open winner. Not one bogey for him through the event. And then you might have seen this on the footage. Of McElroy, Rory McElroy, needed an eagle on the 18th to force a playoff. And he saw his putt 23 feet, finished about a mil from the hole. It was, oh, it was oh so close, so, so close. Anyone else, it would have been tough. But, you know, they're good mates, Rory and Shane Lowry. So a very dramatic end to a... Pretty acrimonious week for a tournament featuring 18 players, 18, from the Saudi Back Live Golf Series. Now, Lowry, for a bit of background, said at the start of the week, oh, I can't stand the Live Stars been in the field. The thing about it is, I mean, they're doing it to get their world golf ranking points up because they don't earn them playing on the Live Tour. Sergio, oh, I just want to support the Europeans. And I don't think he's even played there. He's hardly played there since 2014, Sergio. Taylor Gooch was the top finisher from the Live players, the American in fourth place, and Lowry took the opportunity to hit back at the rival tour, and he, and he said, he's very forthright, I make no secret how I feel about the whole thing. I wanted to win for myself first and foremost, but for everyone that has stayed loyal to this tour, I really feel this is one for the good guys. <laughs> very funny. Sergio dummy spit. Well done to Shane Lowry. It was a good tournament in the end, and uh, yes, all the Lee irony jokes have been done, so no more, please. This is high ground.